Welcome to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon alongside St. Ives Chambers, RHE Global and Barden Co-Recruitment in partnership with District 4. This podcast will explore how we can transform our communities in the 21st century. Today, the Community Safety Podcast looks at victims of antisocial behaviour and the harm that it causes communities. My guest works for the national charity ASB Help, working with victims affected by antisocial behaviour. Please take a listen to a snippet of today's interview. Yeah, I, I cannot, I'm the same as you, I can't shout about the community trigger enough and it's, it's, it's sad to me that it is not used as much as it could be. And it's sad to me that it's not perceived as such a positive. I mean, I don't know if you saw um, the, the the panorama that came out in January, but where it was referenced that you know one in five authorities across England and Wales have never held a community trigger meeting. Sort of, you know, the the act came out in 2014. It's now time. This is the Community Safety Podcast, Community Safety Podcast. with Jim Nixon. Welcome to the Community Safety Podcast. My name is Jim Nixon and I've been working in community safety for over 25 years. This podcast will explore how we can transform communities in the 21st century. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest as Charlie Hamilton Kay, who's the Specialist Victim Project Manager at the ASB charity ASB Help. Charlie joined the team in July 2021. She previously worked as an ASB practitioner within Derbyshire Victim Services providing practical and emotional support to victims of ASB and led in the development of several projects to raise the profile of ASB within communities and the impact that it has on its victims. Charlie studied psychology at the University of Northumbria and takes a keen interest in the motivations and compulsions behind antisocial behaviour. She hopes that in understanding more about the reasons behind ASB, we can effectively tackle it. Charlie, um, welcome to the Community Safety Podcast and thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest today. It's, it's, a, it's a real privilege to have you on board, so thank you. No, thanks for having me. Brilliant. I always like to start off my interviews by getting the audience to know about Charlie and about your growing up years. I always think it's good that we get an idea of what about you and what makes you tick. So the floor is over to you. Tell me about your growing up years. Well, I am born and raised in Bakewell in Derbyshire, home of the Bakewell pudding, I hasten to add, not the Bakewell tart before you jump in with that. Um, So I am a country girl at heart, Um, was really lucky to grow up where I did. It's a really beautiful part of the country. Um, And yeah, I lived there up until um, I went off to university and uh, went to university in Northumbria but came back, gravitated back towards Bakewell, which is um, where I met my husband, um, and we've stayed in the area pretty much ever since. What a great part of the world to grow up in. Oh, it's amazing. It is really beautiful. I'm, we're really lucky, to be honest. There's so much on our doorstep, you know, like Chatsworth and Kerber and, you know, all the places we can go walking with the dogs and stuff. It's it's gorgeous. Can't can't argue at all. I shouldn't really say this, but I, um, I actually uh, went there once, had a few beers, and we'd hired some bikes, and there's a massive hill there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. And I made the fatal mistake of going down this hill a, a little bit sort of, I shouldn't really say this, an ex-police officer should I really, but 
I nearly crashed at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> I think you know that you probably know the hill I'm talking about. I know about, which don't one you? you're thinking. I think you're probably oh, talking about God. um one. Of, I think it's Butts Road. Actually, you might be thinking of. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's that we used to have to walk that every single day to get to school, oh, and really? uh, oh, it was it was awful. So like what? in the heat of summer, you did not want to be tramping up that hill. It was horrific. Like, with an inch of my life, I nearly lost it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's something great... I would have loved to have seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but shh, don't tell anybody about that one, you know, because, um, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant, Nate. I, I was looking into your background, and um, obviously you did psychology at university up in Northumberland, wasn't it? You did, yeah, you did Northumbria so, in Newcastle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting subject to, to cover, really. What was your motivation for that? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a funny story, actually, because I, I went... I went into psychology because I really wanted to kind of understand, try and understand more about why people do the things that they do. Um, when I was a young child um, at sort of primary school, I was quite badly bullied. And it was as I sort of went through my teenage years, I started trying to understand why people behave that way and why people might, you know, make the choices that they make. So that was kind of my motivation for um, for going down that route. But actually, I didn't, finish my degree um at Northumbria because I actually was involved in an incident myself about two years in where I was walking to a friend's um and I was mugged um so I I ended up having to leave university and much as that obviously isn't what how you would want the path to go it actually helped me kind of focus a little bit more on what I wanted to do and it very much focused my mind on wanting to to help people and victims of of crimes and and problems and and allowed me to kind of almost tailor where I wanted my career to go so you know not obviously an ideal situation but it gave me the kind of direction that that I needed yeah that's really interesting that is because um I've got a daughter she's 26 and she um went into working life didn't do a degree but she's now gone back to Wolverhampton University and she's doing exactly the same as you and sh- same path. She was bullied quite badly herself and it's, mm. it's almost like I'm talking to her because her motivation is very similar to yours, that she wants to understand and go into counselling yeah, um, and particularly around children that are bullied because of the way that she was treated and how she felt for many years. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that people go down that path because of how how they have been affected during their sort of growing up years absolutely and i don't think you can i don't think you can ever be sure what you want to do with your life um until you've almost lived a bit of your life and i think you know my five-year-old son comes home from school and at the moment he's absolutely adamant he's going to be a police officer when i grow up i'm going to be a police officer you know last year it was a fireman next year you know it'll be a superhero or something but at the minute it's a police officer and i just think you know, you've got to, you have to experience a bit of life. And even at 18, when you're making those choices to go to uni, um, it's so hard because, you know, you're putting all that time and effort into studying and, and effectively kind of sealing your own um, career path when actually you might not necessarily know what you want. So I think I think sometimes it's it's great if you can go back at a later date and, and you know, with a little bit more information behind you to decide what you want to do. Yeah, I did the same. I I, I was in a, uh, a dead end job for many years, and um, 
went back to went back to college, not university. I wasn't that bright, but I uh, went back <laughs> to college, and and that's when they kind of you know sowed, sowed the seed to to join the police service. And I didn't I didn't join the police service until I was twenty six. So I, I do think mm. I was married with 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 a couple of kids by then. So I think it does it does it does help sometimes to go to go sort of you know into sort of working life not always go to university and sometimes you do need a little bit of time to work out where you want to go and what you want to do absolutely um and i'm glad i chose that path you know i'm glad that i did that um again i noticed from your sort of career looking at your career you obviously finished university and from, from what i could see you went into a sort of dentistry as a dental nurse for yeah. seven yeah. years so I was like thinking hold on a minute she's gone to university to do psychology and now she's a dental nurse so how did that come about so I am one of those people that I like I, I did sort of bit and bob around a little bit in jobs to kind of yeah. find my niche and um it, my husband and I owned our own pub my husband's a chef so um we owned our own pub and when we came out of that um I just he he went off and started doing exciting things and I just needed something to kind of like while away the days, et cetera. So I, I got a job um, as a receptionist in a in a dental practice and kind of just sort of got really interested. I'm one of those people who like, if I see something and I'm interested, I need to learn about it, I need to do it and I need to understand it inside and out. So the next logical step in my mind was, well, I need to understand what, what I'm talking about when I'm talking to these patients and, and what they're coming in for and what's going to happen. So at the ripe old age of, <clears throat> just over 30 I um trained I trained to be a dental nurse and went through the full um diploma did all the tests etc and, and qualified and it was great I did that for about seven years um and really enjoyed it and th- but through that obviously again kind of kept coming back to this interaction with people and the support for people and um I was always the one that got drafted in when there was nervous patients or or uncooperative children, etc. Because I just seemed to have a bit of a knack for for dealing with people. Yeah, um, this is it, and it's just it just it, it was it was just like a, and I suppose another string to the bow. I thought you know it's it's a career that's always going to be available, um, and it's it's it was just really interesting for me. Um, and it was from there that I, I made the jump into victim support just through um, wanting another challenge. Pardon the pun, but when you drill down <laughs> into <laughs> when you drill down into it, though, you can you can imagine the I can imagine the amount of different people you would have experienced over that seven year period. Oh there's my. probably nobody. It's like movie policing. There's probably nobody you haven't seen. Absolutely, you know, all those different people, and like I say, with an interest in psychology, you must have seen some really interesting things. Oh, absolutely, and you know some of the coping mechanisms or just seeing the difference in people some people who came in and they were so terrified and other people who just not bothered in the slightest you know jump in the chair do what you need to do people i saw people who like attempted to take their own teeth out because they didn't want to come and see a dentist and and yeah it's just such a such a landscape for really like take it you know learning about people people watching yeah. almost you know what I mean it was Absolutely. it was hugely interesting hugely interesting yeah. and where I was actually as well was in a quite a, a a wide demographic the area so that you know there were people who were sort of living very close to poverty up, right up to you know, some really wealthy households so it was a huge demographic as well which was really interesting so obviously by doing that work back in back at the the back of your mind was still that desire to be able to go out and 
help people and support people probably because of what had happened to you as a child and growing up and obviously you know I presume the next step was to look at the victim work that you you went on to go on into so tell us about that how that all evolved really so yeah I I got to the point where I knew I I needed a fresh challenge um my son was about two years old and he was obviously going to full-time nursery and he was the time was coming around that he was going to go to school so I was going to have more time on my hands and I thought right okay now's my opportunity to really maybe focus in on what I want to do so um it was a bit of a sticker pin in a map actually sort of thing I, I I loaded up um you know just jobs on the internet any job I put no parameters in whatsoever but I think apart from you know, with people or or something vague like that. So it was, I couldn't stand being in a room by myself. So it was, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it just so happened that I noticed the the job for um, victim support worker uh, within Derbyshire Victim Services. Um, and I read up a little bit about it. Read up about the company, um, the, the 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 charity that it was based with, and I was kind of hooked a little bit at the work they were doing immediately. Um, and so I applied through my hat in the ring, um, didn't really like to hope, but got, you know, got the, the, the call for the interview and, and it was one of those, you go for an interview and, and it was like everything clicked as soon as I was, it was, there was three ladies there, um, who worked for the service, um, and just immediately chatting to them. It was, it was, it was like, right, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. We were on the same mindset. Um, you know, we've got the same ideals and, and what we wanted for people, how we would approach people, what, you know, the questions we would ask. And so I immediately knew this is the job that, that I, you know, this is where I need to be. Um, and luckily I got the job because <laughs> that would have been awkward had I felt that good about it and then it didn't come off. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, yeah, I got the job, which was great. Um, and, you know, did about four years there just work and I specialised in antisocial behaviour. Um, which for me was amazing because no one wanted antisocial behaviour. Everyone was like, I don't want to touch it with a barge pole. No, I can't cope with it. Neighbour disputes and tit for tat and everyone, you know, and everyone's just whinging about each other. And it was so, oh, no, I don't want to get into it. And I loved it. I was like, no, get me in there. Let me, you know, learn all about it, read all about it, work with partners. And, and one of the first things I did was kind of like blanket email every authority in Derbyshire and say, hi, I'm here. This is the job I do. Need to meet you. Want to work together. Um, and it just went from there, really. And it, it, it was great. We really just kind of threw ourselves into it and, and tried to push ASB further up the ladder in, in, in Derbyshire. And there you go. And that's how I met Rebecca Brown, actually, um, through that role, um, who obviously Rebecca was the CEO. The CEO of ASB Health. Well, ex-CEO now, actually, bless yeah, her. She's moved on. Yeah. That's right. She's yeah. moved on now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so um, you're right about ASB. I, I experienced this in the police as well, in that um, you talk about ASB with some officers and it really is kind of red, red rags or ball, you know, it's like, mm. oh, no, I'm not dealing with that. And actually, it showed me that actually the type, that type of work sometimes, you know, I've done response work, you know, fast response and, you know, job to job to job to job. But actually, the real the real sort of nitty-gritty hardcore policing where, you know, the, the problems don't go away very easily are mm. so much harder. And actually, there was a lot of officers that I saw coming to neighbourhood policing, and actually didn't last very long because it was too it was too much for them because they yeah. couldn't deal with that long term. I own this problem. 
they were used to just going stick a plaster stick a plaster and actually never really resolving anything yeah. and you've got to start to look at resolving problems in asb and i think yeah you yeah. you're a very different person to a person that just doesn't really want to own the problem if, yeah. if you get my meaning so yeah, absolutely. Um, so how long were you there for um i was with Derbyshire Victim Services about four years um, and then um, saw that saw the job advertised with ASB help um, had a you know had a chat with Rebecca and um, just kind of stepped into that um, and it was it was it was it was again it was that kind of feeling of knowing the company that that I was looking at and ASB help as a charity learning about what they do and knowing that's that you know that's where I need to be that's the kind of work I need to do and want to do um so again it, it couldn't have been like a more perfect opportunity at the more perfect time um and so that was last summer I started um and with the teams just like doubled in size since then it was it was oh, Beck was massive, like a one man <laughs> she was oh, like no. a one-man band for a while and now there's five of us <laughs> it's mad it's, mad. It's, a, it's probably a great opportunity actually at this point to say um let let the you know let me know about ASB help tell me about ASB help and you know what they what they do and um you know what what do they stand for really okay so ASB help is it's a charity that was started um back in 2013 um our benefactor is Julian Richer of Julian uh, sorry of, of Richer Sounds um who read in uh the newspaper about the very tragic story about Fiona Pilkington and her daughter Francesca um, and was kind of, you know, hugely impacted by it and thought, right, you know, what can I do to maybe affect some change or help in this situation? So he, um, he set up the charity ASB help. The main um, goal being at the time to champion the victim's voice, you know, get, get them heard and really to highlight the community trigger. That was a big, um, you know, a big goal for him. So uh, that was, that was back in 2013. Um, and it was Jenny Herrera, who was our CEO at the time. And, and again, she was a, a, a sort of a one woman band for quite some time. And then Bex came on board and then Katie. And now there's, there's five of us and we are, you know, it's a, a really diverse team, actually, um, in terms of background and, and skill sets, which is great because we all bring something different to the table. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 really good fun, actually, until you get us in a team meeting and then you struggle to get a word in edgeways because, you know, five women together. But it's um, I think it's just because we're all so passionate. We, we're really, really passionate about what we do and about you know, getting the victims heard and affecting change. So we do, we do all sorts. We do, we work directly with victims. So we've got, um, we've got an inbox that's, that's monitored daily where we can receive inquiries from victims about their cases, offer them advice and, and, and point them in the direction of their local authorities and who they need to speak to. Um, we work with practitioners to offer support with complex cases. Um, we do a lot of training, um, around the tools and powers and um since since my role's come on we've started to integrate some victim awareness training into that as well um obviously we do we do media work and government work and and we sort of you know ask us to do it and we'll do it we we, we don't kind of set ourselves parameters if the work needs to be done then we, we kind of jump in and we're quite happy to to get involved so it's it's great that we've almost got that um that blank canvas to 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 what does the sector of ASB need? Right, how can we 
get ourselves in there and start working with it. So it's it's brilliant. It's a really it's a real privilege to 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 have the job actually because I think it's not often people really get the job that they think is is meant for them and 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 have the resources and ability to be able to to go at it full full pedal. So it's 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 an awesome charity. I, I I can't speak highly enough of them, you know, and you included. I absolutely love ASB Help. Obviously, I know Harvey Semby, the uh, the current CEO, and I've known Katie for you know Katie Anderson for a number of years. Mm. Um, so I just you're absolutely right. Lots of diverse experience there, but boy, what a great amount of experience within the ASB sector that can really now I think drive you know the ASB agenda forward as we move forward because there's. You know, you would, I'm sure you'd agree with me. There's a lot of work to do, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Particularly around the victim side of things, um, which moves nicely onto my next question, really. You obviously do this specialist victim role at ASB Help. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your sort of your day to day um, working life and and how you you help and support victims and and, and what else is involved. So, um, yeah, so specialist victim uh project manager what a title i'm not sure we could have got any more words in there if we'd have tried <laughs> <laughs> um again it's it's every day is different so i i deal with um a lot of inquiries that come through so um when people are, are obviously asking us for help explaining um what's going on in their lives i I will tend to work quite closely with uh, with Katie on a lot of cases, her being our, our practitioner support manager, because we'll come at it from both angles. So we'll try and work with the authorities and the agencies involved in that case, see if there's any way we can offer support and guidance on how they can approach the case. But from my perspective, um, it's about making sure that the victim is heard, um, that they know where to turn to, um, I'd like to say get access to victim support services, but as we know, that's a bit of a postcode lottery um, when it comes to antisocial behaviour. So again, that you know that becomes another part of my role. Apart from the direct work with um, with victims themselves, I do get involved with the authorities and try and push for what support can be offered. Trying to raise awareness of of victim impact, what what those victims go through. Um, and kind of trying to overcome the obstacles like you touched on earlier um you know with some agencies ASB is just it's a, it's just not it's not a topic that people like to get into it's you know maybe it's compassion fatigue maybe it's frustration because it it does it can start small and escalate quickly can't it and and i think it's over it's changing those perceptions and overcoming those obstacles which is what i love and 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 being able to support a victim in getting themselves heard before it gets to the point where, you know, it's getting a lot more serious and it's having that really detrimental impact. So it's, I don't think I've actually really given you a particularly clear description there of what I do on a day-to-day basis, but that's, that's the whole beauty of my job. There's no kind of set, there's no set parameters around it. It's just that the victim's at the core of it, making sure they're heard, making sure that they've got a voice and, and whatever I need to do to make that happen, that's, that's what I'll get involved with. I kind of get that because, as I said to you earlier, you know, ASB is just so complex. Mm. I don't think it's the sort of thing where you can say it's black and white because there's so many grey areas. You know, when you're dealing with different victims, um, and I'll I'll touch on that in a minute in terms of some of the things that that I see on a day-to-day basis as an operational lead for a a, a local authority, um, 
I think it's really important that we are very open-minded. We see the grey areas and we don't jump to conclusions until we've created, you know, we've, we've conducted a proper investigation Absolutely. and understand the full, the full problem and what we're dealing with. And I see sometimes, you know, um, people can, you know, manage the expectations incorrectly and jump in too quickly and come to see some conclusions that really are so wide of the mark, it's untrue. Mm. And I think that's where mm. I was going to ask you about this in terms of you see an awful lot of victims in a, in the ASB world. Appreciate this is a bit of a complex question, but are you seeing sort of common sort of themes around why victims are let down? And I'm not saying that's intentional, but I'm, I'm, are you seeing kind of common themes in terms of how the cases are being managed and where we're going wrong? Yeah, I mean, straight away, a couple of things that jump to mind are um, we see quite a few cases where the perhaps it's a dispute and the basis of the dispute is a civil matter, so a boundary dispute or over a parking space. Um, and from a, from a practitioner perspective, I think immediately the response can be, well, we can't, that's not, you know, we can't touch that. It's civil. That's for you to kind of get your own solicitor. You need to sort that out. And, and therefore it's not, it's not something we need to be involved in. And it's about changing that and understanding that although the basis of the dispute might be a civil matter, we're here to address the the demonstrated behaviors in how those individuals are dealing with that dispute and it's about sort of looking at the big picture not all right it's about this therefore it's not our problem you know we've got to kind of think outside the box in terms of of the tools and powers we've got and how we can address the behaviors and, and the way things have been acted so i think yeah that that that's quite a common one whereas where we're, we're looking at the the although it's always important to look at the cause the cause isn't the be all and end all to to how we can approach it um and and obviously we've seen in the news recently cases sort of such as you know neighborhood disputes that have ended so very tragically um with you know stabbings and 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 murder and and at some point there was a starting point there you know we didn't wake up one morning and fall out with our neighbor over a cup of tea and then the next day (laughs) you know, go next to that. So that, that there's been a development and, and an escalation there. Um, and I think it's really important that we're focusing on that early intervention and that, that incremental approach where we can try and curb the behaviours before we ever get to that point of needing, um, you know, well, the tragic consequences. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I agree with you. My stance is that I see a lot of cases, and I totally agree with what you said around it's it, there's something that's gone on in a lot of cases particularly with neighbor disputes what i see is a common theme that they were originally friends and they got yeah. on okay and something very simple as a has occurred but actually the one party doesn't like what the other party's done or parties have done and it kind of escalates quite quickly or it might be a slow burner but what i see sometimes is is that it's not actually unreasonable behaviour that's being displayed. Like you mentioned, the parking dispute. You know, you can have like a parking dispute where actually there's no real um, ASB. But I think what you've got to do as an ASB practitioner is it could be it could be quite easy for you to say at that point, 
we ain't doing nothing. That's the end of it. Mm. But I always try and teach my team to think ahead and think yeah. about how that could escalate. So actually, it might be a mental health issue. It might be you know something linked to drug and alcohol. But actually, what I would do, even if it's still, if it's even if it's um, not unreasonable behaviour, I'd still want to do mediation early doors and mm. look at those underlying reasons why this dispute is developing and trying to get my team to think about you don't want to be the person that's filed this case and you know six months down the yeah. line somebody's somebody's got a knife in their back because Absolutely. we haven't addressed the underlying causes so i think again it comes back to me around something i drill into the team a lot is managing those expectations mm-hmm. and looking deeper and looking at those gray areas and not just looking at it black and white a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. The problem solving is is so key, isn't it? It's it's all right. So that might not necessarily be within our remit, but if we were to support a change in that, would it help? Would it would it affect the situation? You know, something as simple as helping someone out to get um, sound mufflers on a door or something like that. That so it just stops annoying. You know, I had one case actually where two neighbours were. It was like a communal um, apartment building. And they were falling out because one of them had a cat and she kept opening the uh, the public door to the building and leaving it open for the cat. And so the other neighbour obviously was not happy about this. She felt it was insecure um, and they just kept falling out over it and they couldn't find any compromise. And so we sat there and said, well, to the housing uh, provider, could you put in a cat flap? Oh, well, we hadn't thought of that. So, well, let's put in a cat flap and let's see if that helps problem solved do you know what i mean the cat can come and go the door's shut nobody needs to be everyone gets what they want and you know great and you know it's that kind of okay it's not necessarily something you would do as standard it cost you a tiny bit of money to do it and but it solved the problem and actually long term that's a hell of a lot better than having an ongoing dispute for years that you're constantly battling so it's yeah yeah you've got to take that I approach agree. haven't you absolutely charlie because you think about it, you just mentioned about cost but actually the cost of a, a cat flap you think of how much it costs. You know, when I went to Stoke on Trent Council in nine, in two thousand eighteen, they had they had cases there that have been going on for four or five years. Mm. You think in terms of people hours, how much that costs? Absolutely. That is probably you know you're running into probably over a hundred thousand quid if you think about it logically. Yeah. Oh, hundred um, percent. You know, so I don't again. I don't think sometimes we. You know, practitioners look at things very practically and I'm not knocking or you know, I'm just saying some of the common themes that I'm seeing mm. from some of the work I do across the country I think sometimes we lose sight of sometimes very simple simple solutions can work really really well yeah. can't they absolutely and, absolutely and, and I think it comes on to yeah a hundred percent and I think it's it is it is about changing the way we think because Yes, we have. We do have to take some some more, you know, bigger decisions. We do have some more complex cases, but you know, taking it back to basics, it's 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 the it, you know, why not tackle it that way first before we have to sort of bring in the big guns, so to speak. I actually think that more serious cases in ASB are a lot easier to solve when you've got a clear cut. You've got an offender or offenders. You've got the offences laid out. It's serious. You go to court and get a without notice injunction, which is for those listening that don't um, probably are, are, are aware. It's a, you know getting an injunction without the perpetrators, offenders knowing 
and you will be able to give those victims a level of protection quite quickly and then you'll give the perpetrators an option to defend themselves in court but mm. i think sometimes those are so much clear-cut and easy to deal with than those nitty-gritty kind of neighbor disputes that if you Absolutely. don't manage them effectively they will just create such a big workload for you and the longer they go on the more they fester they will just get completely out of hand and like i said you know you'll spend you'll spend half year working working week on it you know absolutely and, and that, that can't be oh. good for anybody I- no, absolutely. And and you know, and that is again, it's when that's when you start getting the you know, the less satisfactory responses because as any human being would do, you get that's when you get the compassion fatigue and the need for, you know, the sort of eye roll when the next email comes in and it's like, Oh, here we go again you know, it's in in order to deal with them better, we need to deal with them effectively because then we're all no one's gonna be as frustrated. But victims and also, you know, us as practitioners. So I think, yeah, it's really key to to get in there early and and try and use a simple approach before we have to let it rumble on. Yeah, and as I say, you know, for any practitioners listening to this or, or the wider public, really, I just think that you've got to get into the underlying reasons and you've got to get to, you know, the nitty gritty because, you know, I've dealt with a few cases where actually we've addressed the mental health and that solved it. You know, yeah. um, somebody not taking their medication or somebody not getting the right support. And we certainly saw that more over the COVID period where mm. people were all of a sudden thrust together where they, you know, they'd normally be used to those support systems or they were going out to work and they weren't really engaging indirectly with their neighbours for any more than a couple of hours a night. All of a sudden, we we're all thrust together for, you know, 24 <laughs> yeah. 7. Absolutely. And we all saw, and we all saw the, you know the out the the you know, the outcome of that in terms of a massive increase in you know antisocial behaviour or at least you know tolerance levels being tested to the limit, didn't we? Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, gosh, what an increase we saw in 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 inquiries, complaints, and and cases in general. I think, like you say, we we're all put together and and almost like put under a microscope, weren't we? Because there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere, you know to escape from it all and whereas you can be considerate of a neighbor for a couple of hours a night when you come home from work having to you don't you want to live your life in your own home so you your immediate thought isn't actually going to be for 24 hours a day or oh, I need to make sure I don't make any noise or I don't do this and I don't do that because that person might be working from home it, you know it, it it we had to change our perspectives very quickly and I think yeah. um it was re- it was really difficult um, for a it was lot of a difficult people. Difficult period. I tested mm. tested me and my team, um, and I spoke to a number of practitioners during that period, and we we were tested to the limit during that period. Yeah. You know, I think I was working thirteen hour days, fourteen hour days, consistently for a number of months, and you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I was I was at the point of burnout towards the end because it was Absolutely. just so draining. Yeah. Um, but but I'm glad we got through that period, and I think we all, as practitioners, I think we all learned a lot. Um, yes, definitely. You know, in, in terms of what is ASB and what isn't ASB, and yeah. looking at the, again those underlying reasons, sometimes why people do behave the way that they do. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the community trigger. I know you've already touched yes. on it earlier when you yeah. did your introduction, but I obviously I, I'm a massive advocate of the community trigger. I think it's um it's it's a great tool to use 
Um, and, and I'll be totally honest with you, Charlie, I've used it sometimes as well where some of those neighbour disputes where it isn't unreasonable behaviour and the you've done everything, you've tried everything, you get mm-hmm. the you, know, you get the I'm not doing mediation, I don't you know, what you're gonna do about it, sort it out, but they don't want to engage. I've actually used the trigger to really good effect when you've got that kind of vexatious type customer that won't sort of take no for an answer, but you've done yeah. absolutely everything. I think that's got value, but also equally when you've got a victim or victims that have been, you know, significantly let down by by the sort of um, the investigating um, agencies, authorities, mm. it's a great tool to be able to get your case sort of independently assessed by a panel to see, you know, where things have gone wrong and, you know, to try and put it right before things get really bad. Just going to take a break from the podcast to showcase an excellent product from our main sponsor, RHE Global. It's called Reams Community Safety. It covers all your ASB case management needs, plus up-to-date community safety processes and supporting documents. Store all your community safety content in one place. Local edits can also be made so that you can customise it for your own organisation. Avoid expensive court costs by ensuring that you have the most up-to-date case law and keynote webinars to support with all the documents. Some of the topics to be covered will be the injunction, closure powers, community trigger, community protection notice, amongst a host of others. To obtain more information, you can contact the team via the website www.reams.org or email sales at rheglobal.com. I hope you're enjoying the Community Safety Podcast. If so, please rate, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. This really helps to spread our message. What 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 are you what are your experiences of the, of, of the community trigger, and you know what 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 are your views on it? Well, I just yeah, it's from, certainly from a victim's perspective, it is just absolutely the best tool. It's the best option out there um, if you feel that your case is um, it's ongoing and it's not potentially you know being addressed resolved um you know the criteria is not um is not hard to meet ultimately if you're if you are the victim of ongoing and and persistent antisocial behavior reporting three incidents over a period of six months you're generally going to find that you're putting three incidents over a week aren't you so it's very you know it's really good easy to meet that threshold um and i think it's just it's it when used correctly and really implemented it is just a brilliant tool for getting everybody around a table because there's no limit to who you can get around that table to discuss that case yes we'll have the police um you know local authorities um perhaps you know mental health environmental health brilliant but let you know think outside the box you can get local um diversionary activities um to come in and contribute anybody who could potentially weigh in and offer some insight into um a, you know a way to problem solve a way to add additional support um and i think that's that's so key and it's and as practitioners we really need to make sure that we've got that perception of the community trigger as a positive because it's it is easy to um perhaps misconstrue that that when a community trigger is is launched is it a criticism of our work is it trying to look at what we haven't done and apportion blame 
And it isn't. It, it really isn't. It, 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 I understand how, you know, individuals can feel that way. But it, it really isn't. The, the whole premise of it is that it's to get us all together, um, fresh set of eyes, fresh set of ears. Let's look at what's been going on. Let's look at what we've tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and what more can we do? And let's think outside the box. Um, and, you know, the fact that we now, um, we recommend inviting the victim in, uh, you know, to the beginning of the community trigger to, to offer that contribution just makes the whole thing even even more productive because you are you are given that opportunity to really express the impact um and that in itself i think um certainly from a safeguarding perspective as well is just is just so important it's it's really priceless when it comes to kind of assessing the case because we might be looking at it and thinking oh well come on we're only talking about some kids playing football against a wall you know like how how big of a deal is that but then when you get Mrs. Smith come in and tell you about how actually it's till 11 o'clock every night and she has to listen to the language and, and how it affects her and she's trying to look after her ailing husband, it's putting, it's putting the bigger picture out there and it, yeah. it, it kind of changes how we look at it. And it's just, yeah, I, I cannot, I'm the same as you, I can't shout about the community trigger enough. And it's, it's, it's sad to me that it is not used as much as it could be. And it's sad to me that it's not perceived as such a positive um, and I think there is a lot of work to be done in changing that perception and in really raising awareness of the community trigger. Um, I mean, I don't know if you saw um, the, the the panorama that came out in January. Um, I certainly about, did. Yeah, I think I don't think I've actually asked anybody um, in the ASB sector yet who hasn't seen it. Um, but where it was referenced that you know one in five authorities across England and Wales have never held a community trigger meeting, and that kind of in almost sort of you know the the act came out in two thousand and fourteen. So we're like eight years in, and like, yeah, and, and making me some, shiver that is to think that you know I eight years and some it. agencies just still haven't haven't um, haven't run one, and is that because they are throwing up obstacles? Is that because they don't understand it? Is that because the victims aren't aware of it? You know, we really need to be asking those questions. Why? Why has it not been used? Because you can't tell me that in those in those specific areas, wherever they were. They haven't got ASB issues. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, A couple of things for me, um, picking up on stuff that you said, can't stress enough as somebody that is, you know, daily involved in the community trigger from a sort of operational point of view, that it is certainly not a complaint and a finger pointing. Having been involved in a number of, you know, sort of reviews myself and also done it on your behalf for ASB help in the past where I've done it as an independent chair for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I always make it really clear as the chair of, of, of a panel is that this is not about blame. This is about finding real solutions to the problem. We're making recommendations. And you know sometimes those recommendations may not be taken on because there's good reasons why those recommendations yeah. may not be taken taken on later on down the line. But I think um, that's something really important that, again, it's not taken as a complaint and a finger-pointing exercise. It's about, you know, learning and growing and seeing what else you can do. And like you've said, fill in that room if you can, you know, with the right mm. people. And, you know, if, you, if you've got the right people in the room, you're going to get some solutions. But then Absolutely. the other one for me is around an understanding around the criteria it's amazing how many times i will get say 
another organisation to check their records and they'll say, oh, it's okay, we've only had two reports, but we may as a local authority have had three. They think because they've only had two reports that that's fine and it doesn't meet the criteria. Mm. Um, and the other one that I see quite a lot as well is, oh, the case is still open. Oh. So it doesn't, it doesn't meet the criteria. And I'm like, it doesn't matter whether the case is closed or open. No. Please. Gosh. Oh, <laughs> you know? head. Head brick wall. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if the, case, yeah. if the case was closed, surely you are in essence saying there's no longer any ASB. So why no. would we need the community trigger? Not, you know, I know not in all cases, but oh, it's, no. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, if, someone, if someone meets the criteria, that's, that's, that's it. That, that's end of black and white. So uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you yeah. more on I'm, that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to do as much work as I can in sort of support of ASB help you know, with practitioners that I'm dealing with and some of the training that I do around mm. the country you know and trying to sort of really push it and get them to understand it you know particularly with the police officers that I train yeah. so I think we are starting to make inroads absolutely but I, do, but I do think we've got a long way to go to be honest with Charlie you know and we've all mm. just got to keep banging on about it yeah um yeah. you know and I certainly will continue with the work that I'm doing and this is why I've asked you on again today you know to so we can bang on about it and just absolutely. keep getting it out there uh, well, absolutely. It's and and when you when you're as passionate about about something as as, as we are, I think you, you I, I could bang on about it and all day. It's that's that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's wanting to affect that change and really wanting people to kind of get their teeth into it like we do. So there is yeah. there's always going to be work to do, and 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 that's the beauty of it. But I do feel like you say certainly over the last sort of six to twelve months. You know, there's there's been a bit of a shift, and and you know, we people are listening a bit more, and you know, I think it's it's only positive. The only way sort of forward, isn't it? I, I think you know, I think we both know from the housing white paper and that you know that the community trigger is going to be massively on the government's mm. agenda for the next few years, and rightly so. And I tell a lot of organisations that I train, you know, if you haven't got your act together with the community trigger, this is a great time to do it. Yeah. Because if you haven't, then you're going to get found, you're going to get found out. And you, you know, like you've just said about one in five, um, you know, that's, that's a worrying statistic. Mm. And um, mm. that moves me very nicely onto the, um, the community trigger pledge that you guys offer yeah. to organisations. Yeah. Now I, I do a lot of work with Staffordshire police and I've actually recently got them in touch with Katie Anderson and Katie's Perfect. been working with them and she's done it with us as well. So we've done the pledge with Katie and, and, and Bex before she left the organisation. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it works? Yeah, so um, the ASB pledge is um, it's a support mechanism for um, authorities and agencies where we will help you review and um sort of basically formalize up your community trigger process so we will go over your policies and procedures with you we'll make sure that everything's up to date with the current legislation um you know if there's any caveats in there that need consideration we can you know we will we will offer that support and we will help make sure that you, you're really at the, the the forefront of best practice in terms of the community trigger um, and in doing that we will also um provide you with um the support to run your first community triggers we can we can act as an independent chair for you um but it's it's mainly about supporting agencies to 
learn about the trigger, understand the process and how it's going to support the victims so that you can really embed it within within your method yeah. of working. We'll provide that training so you know exactly where you're coming from with it and how it can how you can use it as a tool to, to support you in your work. Um, and then the beauty of it is once you've done the ASB pledge, you get to put our lovely logo up on your website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, are there, are there, I, I can't remember. I think we did all ours online, so there weren't, wasn't Probably. any sort of travel, travel expenses for the team. But are there any costs to it, do you know? Uh, no, the pledge is absolutely free. Um, we do that as, as, you know, one of the main roles that we do as, as part of the charity. Brilliant. So, yeah, yeah, get in touch with us and, and we will do the pledge with you as a completely free service. Um, because that is we 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 want the community trigger out there. We yeah. want everyone doing Absolutely. it to the best of their ability. So no, there's no. And, we, and we've done it in Stoke, guys, and it, and it, and it's just a brilliant process. And you you come out of it feeling quite good about yourself, actually, because you know we we were in not a bad place anyway. But Bex just helped us fine tune a couple of little problems, you know, that she identified, and it just makes you feel really confident about what you're delivering. Which yeah, um, which is it's got to be a good thing, you know. We need uniformity. I know there'll be slight differences, but in the whole, we need a bit more uniformity across across England and Wales. Oh, absolutely, really? absolutely. You yeah, know. there's such a there's such a um, a disparity in approach um, between all the different areas. So it could not be more, you know, it could not be more productive to really kind of get involved and, and learn more about it because it's only going to help you. And ultimately, in that respect, the the winner yeah, is always going to be the victim. So yeah. that's and that's what we want, isn't it? Yeah. So that's brilliant. It's that's it's really good we cover that. Um, I just want to ask you as well. Obviously, um, again, I see this across across the country that there is a lot of differences in the understanding and the knowledge around ASB tools and powers. Mm. Again, we talk about the new act from two thousand and fourteen. You know, as you've rightly said, like eight years ago. Um, are there any other sort of um? services any kind of information that asb um, help offer to like organizations that are investigating asb are there any other options available for us for you to for, for, for us to tap into well yeah i mean how long's a piece of string really we will we will we will support and offer what you need from us We've, we're very much trying to work um in a bespoke manner because we want you know we don't want to set parameters around how we can help we mentioned earlier that you know the skill set and the, the the difference in experience in all of our team members. So chances are, whatever the issue is, one of us has kind of got got can can weigh in and help with that. Um, we do offer advice and, and and help practitioners around case management and case support. Um, we direct victims towards um, support services in their own areas, and we try and kind of lobby to to improve on those support services where they're not available. Um, but we 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 don't kind of close ourselves off to any inquiries that's the that's the beauty of asb help so even if you think oh i don't know if they do that or if they'll 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 be able to help me with that get in touch with us anyway because chances are even if we can't help we know someone who can you know someone um, who does i say that all the time yeah yeah that's <laughs> I'll it another that's cra- i'll tell you it. another cracking one as well charlie just 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 something that i've used um you've got an amazing um part of your website that has a load of different information about all the different tools and powers and templates and mm. things like for the injunction without notice injunction and all that um, on your website. So again, there's a little section on there that actually um, you can click on and you can get an absolute wealth of information. Yeah. So um, for yeah. any practitioners that are listening, that that is well worth a look. Because I say I've used it a few times. Um, yeah, there's a I'm lot of templates training. on there. Yeah, it's brilliant. It is really, really good. And I know it's been 
sort of um, put together by you know yourselves and solicitors. So it's you know it's very fit for purpose. Mm, so yeah. um, fill your yeah. boots, guys. Absolutely, um, please listening. do draw on the resources yeah. there. It's it's well yeah. worth a look. Brilliant. Now I've got a big question for you now. Um, okay. Because I thought I'd you know just you know sort of see your views. There's no right or wrong answer to this, but how do you think? we can significantly reduce ASB over the next few years. Now, I know that's quite a complex question, but um, what, are you, what would you say the main points are? It's the million-dollar question, isn't it, that? Mm. Um, I think we need to really work within our communities. So we need to have the conversations. We need to be getting out there, talking to... Um, you know, talking to the people who are living it, what what's affecting you, what's impacting you, what do you need, what do you need to to you know improve your situation, um, and you know, when it comes to things, it's very it's very easy to see a sort of us and them mentality. You know, us as the practitioners and then the public. And actually, if you think about it, we're 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 all both in one way or another. You know, we all live somewhere. We all. Um, we all want that sanctuary and that peace and quiet in our own communities. So what, what do we expect and how can we look at what other people expect and, and, and tailor the two together? So I think for me, it's, it's, it's hugely about communication and, you know, and everything falls back to that. So that, again, we, we, we talk about the community trigger. We talk about maybe holding the drop-in clinics where um, if uh, two hours a week or two hours a month even, you open up the door of the village hall and, and say, you know what, come and talk to us, tell us what's going on. Tell us what's been bothering you. Tell us what you need from us. Because people don't always know where to go. They don't know who to turn to. So there could be a lot of things going on that you're not aware of. Um, and I think actually we heard from Resolve a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. They've just done um, a lot of research. And and I think and I, and I'm hoping that I'm not wrong in this. So please do correct me if I if I am because you know statistics in my head. But I'm sure there was a, a scary figure of something like 38% of people or, or 58% of people would not report antisocial behaviour if they experienced it because they feel like they wouldn't be listened to or because they feel like it might be considered petty to be making that report and that maybe the authorities have got better things to do or, you know, so that's that's a huge barrier there on knowing what's going on in your communities already. So you need to get that, that that line of communication open to find out what's happening so that you can start to support it. Yeah. Resolver, another charity that deal with ASB, just, just for anybody that doesn't uh, is not are not aware of that organisation. Um, and they do a lot of work, you know, similar to you, but in a slightly different way. But I, I, I mean, yeah. taking the exact figures data out of the equation you're absolutely I was gonna right. say please do because i'm sure no, I no, but you, are, you are you are absolutely right it's, it, it's i don't know the exact figure but it's really really high and what actually mm. i think what statistics also say is that normally most people when they report asb they've probably experienced it three or four times before they've actually plucked up the courage you know yeah. to report it so it's actually a, a big problem for them way before they actually you know inform the authorities so that's yeah. really sort of important. But in answer to your question, my question rather, not your question, but my question, <laughs> um, let's get this right. Um, I totally agree with you. I think that is, uh, I've just taken, we've, we've just merged the Stoke private team and housing, and we've taken on some housing officers and we've made our service very tenure neutral. 
which is, I think, the right way forward. So I'm the sort of operational lead, two managers, and we've got 13 officers that now cover the whole city of Stoke. And right. one of the things that, for my vision, is getting out in those communities and finding out what's going on and looking yeah. at some of that unreported ASB that is going on in those communities day in, day out, and we just do not know about it. Mm, so I think mm. I think your view there is absolutely spot on. I really do, yeah. and that's something we're certainly going yeah. to be doing, um, you know, over the next twelve months and beyond. So um, I, I really good. resonate with that, which is which is brilliant. We are coming to the end of the interview, and I always sort of finish off with: Is there a question that you wanted me to ask, or something you wanted us to cover that we haven't? This is your opportunity. Um, do you know, the one thing that I always, in, in, in our words from earlier, like to bang on about, and just purely because any opportunity to get someone to listen to me say it, I, I, I relish, is um, is victim support. <coughs> it's the access to emotional support for victims of antisocial behaviour. Now, obviously, we know there's no standardised provision coming from, from central government at the moment, and it's... Um, like we said, a postcode lottery, but it's more of a plea from me for anyone who might be listening, who might be able to have a conversation that leads to a conversation. You know, it is absolutely key that we get those support services available to victims of ASB because ultimately to me, um, and, and not in any way taking away from the impact of crime on its victims, but I think antisocial behaviour is so often, you know, an ongoing campaign. It's an onslaught and you often have nowhere to turn from it. And to me, you know, the cumulative impact of that compared to maybe a one-off incident of your car being broken into or, um, you know, a big criminal damage or something. I'm not, I'm not in any way undermining the, the gravity of those, those crimes. But it's that drip, but drip when, effect, isn't it? This, yeah, absolutely. It's 24, it, you know, for some people it's 24 hours a day and it's every day. They've got nowhere to go to escape from it. And that can do a lot of damage to a person, you know, both mentally and physically. Um, and so it is just so important that within our communities, we have some way of, of offering that emotional support to, to the people who are going through that, whether it be, you know, with incentives, uh, initiatives, not incentives, initiatives within our own communities that we put together, volunteer work, etc. You know, there's, there's a lot of scope there. And yes, there's a lot of change that we need to affect up the chain to you know to Westminster to, to try and get that happening but it's just something I, I always like to just put try and make sure it gets in the back of people's minds please just yeah, definitely. have a think about it no absolutely I think you're absolutely right and I'll tell you what would be a really good um, opportunity for us to do in the future uh, Charlie if, if there are um, you know particular victims that would be willing is I think it'd be a great idea actually to get a victim or two to come onto this podcast in the near future absolutely and um get their stories across and actually get that real uh, understanding or beginning to get that understanding of the real impact you know about that drip mm. drip effect so we'll definitely look at that in the future 100 um, i, I yeah. think that'll be brilliant to for it to be a follow-on from what we've done today you've obviously described how it all works but let's get let's get some real victims on the on this podcast and and we can continue to kind of raise awareness um around yeah. you know just how impactive it is on on, on members of the public and like you Absolutely. say you know we, we we can all be affected by it, all of us you know it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't I, discriminate I have, 
Yeah, I have offices that I have offices that work for me that are affected by it. I've I've had it in the past. You know, none of us are exempt from it. Um, no. So you know, we've all we've all got to work together to raise that awareness and to um, you know and to get it um, get it out there and and just offer as much help and support as we can. So yes. um, yeah, brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, finally, I've done a bit of research on you, and um, oh, oh I just yeah, <laughs> oh, I like you'll love this one. You love this one, so I just wanted to finish this to say that I know, I know that you love um, berry picking and making homemade jam. Is that true? I do. Is that, is that true? I do. So, yeah. so I just wanted to end the interview to say that I do expect to see a pot winging its way to the community safety team podcast team, so we can use it on our morning toast. Okay, send me the address, and it's on its way. It won't, it won't be till after joking. August bank holiday because that is that is the specific weekend when we do it. It's tradition. Ah, the Cade right, okay. family outing, right. August bank holiday weekend. Well, I need to hold you to that then, and then I'll, um, oh, I'll give you a, gen- a gentle nudge. Yeah. I just I just end that, end on that point. But no, just joking apart, Charlie. Thanks ever so much for coming on today. I think we've discussed some really really important aspects around ASB and victim care and how we can support victims moving forward. I think what you guys are doing is just incredible. Just keep yeah. doing what you're doing. I love the passion. I Thank love you. the energy that comes from your organisation. And just keep doing what you're doing because it's just amazing. Um, how can people no, reach out to the organisation? Um, email us. We've got a website, um, asbhelp.co.uk. Um, and the details are on there, how to get in touch with us. Or just email us at admin at asbhelp co.uk so please do give us a shout and we'll help in any way that we can that is brilliant thank you so much and thank you again for coming on today it's uh, it's no been an absolute pleasure to interview you thank you so much for having me it's been it's been great brilliant thank you so much for listening to the community safety podcast we really do appreciate your support please spread our message and share this podcast with your friends family and colleagues we really want to get our message across and we will catch you on the next episode This was a fantastic interview with Charlie Hamilton Kay. So good to have an insight into how antisocial behaviour affects communities and how ASB Help can work with victims and provide the necessary help and support to get them through a very difficult and challenging period. I know the work that the charity conducts every day is saving many lives. Thanks again for listening to the Community Safety Podcast and don't forget to rate, subscribe and leave a five-star review. We really appreciate your support and we will catch you on the next episode. Alongside support from St. Ives Chambers, RHE Global and Barden Co-Recruitment in partnership with District 4, you have been listening to the Community Safety Podcast with Jim Nixon.